Amen. Let's stand together to read the Word of God. So good to see Tracy up there. Tracy was our volunteer coordinator for quite a while, and now she stepped into a new position, but thankfully she's still here. And so, great testimony. Let's celebrate recovery. I got to tell you, when she says CR, she means celebrate recovery. It's not just for people coming out of drugs or alcohol, though there's a lot of that, but it's for people dealing with hang-ups, dealing with uh, things that are hard for them to overcome in their own life, emotional issues, relationship issues. And every time I come to a Celebrate Recovery graduation, I always walk out, get in the car, get on the phone, call Kathy, and I say, Celebrate Recovery is one of the reasons this church is here. It's that good. Amen? So Jesus still sets people free. How many of you have ever been in a wilderness? How many of you are in a wilderness? How many of you don't know whether you are or not? You're just happy to be here. All right. Well, we, we began a series last week talking about wilderness wanderings because the wilderness is very much a part of Bible teaching. A lot of Christians don't understand it. I'm going to talk to you about that, but, but we need to understand it because it's, it's really a part of our Christian life. And that may sound antithetical to some of you who are always taught, uh, well, if, you know, if you're not you know, just popping with joy and everything's going great, then you don't have faith. But I'm here to tell you, you can have great faith and be in a wilderness. And a wilderness is part of God's dealings with us. Uh, so I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, hold it up. Hold up that Bible. If you're a member of this church and you're here without a Bible, you're here half-dressed. I'm not condemning you. But bring your Bible. And what we have on the screen is just for the sake of those who don't have a Bible with them. So let's put it up there. Deuteronomy 8 and verses 2 and 3. And I'm glad that uh, I have a Bible because I couldn't read that if I had to up there. Amen. Now, chapter, verse 2, chapter 8. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Watch this. To humble you and to test you. To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. That ought to be easy to find. Take a right. Go to your New Testament, the very first book, Matthew 4, 3 to 4. This is the story of Jesus in his own wilderness. And look what it says. When the tempter came to Jesus, he said, if. That's always the devil's favorite word, if. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh, we need to get that in our spirits. Now, of course, he was quoting Deuteronomy there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And we pray that, Lord, you will reach down, help us to understand the various wilderness experiences we have. And that, Lord, we would not only go through the wilderness and and survive the wilderness, but thrive in the wilderness and learn our lessons well. And we thank you for it. Would you breathe a prayer today, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor like last week and tell him, you're, you're not going down, you're going through. Amen. Now, in the first passage that we read out of Deuteronomy, 
we find God explaining to the children of Israel uh, what he was after in them. You know, God's after something in you and me. You know, the Bible says that um, God daily works within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're a daily, we're a daily God project. Do you know that? Can you say with me, I'm a God project. Uh, you really are. You're, you're a daily project of God. You don't just get saved and go off into, you know, heaven the day you die. But the minute you get saved, God begins work in you, and it's a renovation project. And he wants to build some things in us. So everything that God allows into our life, brings into our life, is designed to build something in us that we're going to need tomorrow. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, God was after something in the children of Israel in the wilderness. He wanted to forge something into their character. So look what he says. He says, I humbled you. I humbled you by letting you go hungry. So one of the things that God allowed the children of Israel to go through in the wilderness was hunger, or what I'm going to call today want. Uh, the message today is entitled, The Wilderness of Want, or the want experience in our wilderness. The wilderness of want. They, they had wants, they had desires in the wilderness. And God used their wants to forge in them what he was after. Now, because we're human, we frequently find ourselves wanting, don't we? There are things we desire and cannot or do not have. And so we experience want. Now, now follow this carefully. There are things we wish that we had in our lives. We desire uh, for them to be there. We, we pray that God will do something about this particular want or desire. As a matter of fact, most of us pray over wants. Most of us pray over what we want. Well, we, we, we first, I, I don't know about you, but I know about me that I don't really pray for others until I pray for myself because I've got to get my own burdens off of me. So I pray about what I want, what I desire, what I need. Then I'm able to focus on other people. But most of us pray for what we want. We, we want God to do something for us, bring into our lives what we desire. And yet we experience lack in the wilderness. We experience some lack. What we want, even after we pray, doesn't always come, at least for a season. And we feel a lack, both by the things we need and the things that we want. We feel that lack. We're all in need of certain things in life. And there's a difference between need and wants. If I need something, I've got to have it. We go to God with our needs. And we all need food. We need shelter. We need love right? That's a need. But we also have wants. We want certain things that we believe once we get them, we're going to be happy. We're going to be fulfilled. And so we pray, oh God, give me this, give me that, bring this into my life. This is a want of mine. And I believe that once I have the want fulfilled, I'm going to be happier. Now, as we go through this series on the wilderness, I want to continually point to the fact that Jesus experience the same things in his wilderness experience that we do. And one of the things we see he experienced was want. It says as soon as he was baptized by John, the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So here's Jesus following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And notice with me, the Holy Spirit led him into a wilderness experience. 
And there in the wilderness experience, he experienced several things that you and I do. One of them was want. He hungered. The Bible says when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, Jesus was hungry. And who could blame him? 40 days and 40 nights, that's supernatural. But it says he was hungry. So Jesus, our model, our role model, experienced hunger, want, desire, needs in the wilderness. He was tempted with both things he needed like food and things he wanted. He wanted God's power, his anointing. Because the Bible says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted. But when he came out of the wilderness, the Bible makes a point of telling us he came out in the power of the Spirit and began his ministry. So something happened to Jesus in that wilderness. And something happens to you and me in a wilderness. Jesus went in and experienced these things that we do, but when he came out, he began to cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, teach like no man ever taught. His ministry was launched. The real action happened after he came out of the wilderness. He's our role model. Now, here's the rub. It is when you and I experience a a, a lack in any of these things that we need or that we want, and it doesn't seem like God does anything about it, that we can feel that God has failed to provide for us, and that's when we find ourselves in a wilderness experience. Man, where is God? I have this want. I have this need. I have these desires. And this is just really, this is a, something I'm really experiencing right now, and it just seems like God's nowhere around, and why isn't he providing for me? And, and that's wilderness. He said, I allowed you to hunger. I humbled you. Now, most Christians have very little understanding about the wilderness experience. Thankfully, when I was young in the Lord, I had somebody that taught me that there was a real thing called a wilderness. Now, it doesn't mean that God left you. It doesn't mean the promises of God aren't true. But it means that God is after something inside of us. He wants to build and forge and shape and mold something inside of us because of what's coming in the future. From the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation, there are consistent references to the wilderness as being something God often uses in his dealings with his own people. Read it. It's everywhere. It's all through the Bible. Pastor Andrew Strom writes this of the wilderness. He said, quote, when we look through the scriptures, we see that the wilderness is often a place of spiritual crisis as well as preparation. It's the place that God sends us to before the real action begins, before we enter into the full purpose of God in our lives. Just as there must be a death before there can be a resurrection, before uh, there must be a desert place before the promised land. The wilderness is a place of trial and testing. It's a place of brokenness and full surrender to God. Listen carefully, because some of you, I'm going to save you some counseling money today. In the wilderness, the props we're used to leaning on are stripped away. Our self-reliance is shattered and replaced with a total reliance on God alone. Before we go into the wilderness, we have great confidence in me, myself, and I. When we come out, it's all about him. Every idol in our lives is brought under the piercing searchlight of God in the wilderness. Anything you're leaning on instead of him is revealed, exposed, and removed in the wilderness. 
It is a great stripping down so that you can be girt with the armor of God when you come out. Our selfish motives and ambitions are shown for what they are in the wilderness. Finally, we emerge broken, chastened, purified. Now we're ready for the fulfillment of all that God originally called us to do. So part of a wilderness experience is that of want. Now I want you to catch this. In Deuteronomy 8, God informs Israel that it was he himself that allowed them to experience want. So Pastor Jeff, wait a minute. He's my provider. He's going to give me everything I need. Exactly. He is going to give you everything you need, but not everything you want. In the wilderness, he will provide for your needs, as we see with the children of Israel as they walk through the wilderness. Their sandals didn't run out, didn't, didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They were kept supernaturally healthy and strong. They got all of their needs met, their hunger, their thirst, though it came to them supernaturally, as we're going to see in a minute. But all their wants, no, no, no. God took their wants, what they really wanted, and taught them to trust him. So it says, he humbled you and he allowed you to hunger. Now, when I read that, it it might at first sound cruel. What loving loving father would purposely allow his children to, to suffer want? Yet, when we read the Bible and we see what God's intent was, we see that it was a huge act of love on his part, that he didn't give them everything they wanted. How many of you have been in Christ long enough where you can look back and say, thank God he didn't answer that prayer? I had a want, I had a desire, and boy, did I pound heaven for it. But I can look back now and thank God he said no, because he had a better plan. God was after something in their character, and he's after something in our character as well. He was after something in the development of their faith that was essential to their success in the promised land. He knew where they were going, so he was prepping them for that hour. You see, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows where you're going to be a year from now, a month from now, a week from now. So everything he's doing in you and me now is preparing us for tomorrow's challenges. Let's remember that the promised land was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, but it was also infested with giants that they would encounter and they must defeat in the promised land. So God says, all my dealings with you are to do you good in the end, Deuteronomy 8, verse 16. I'm going to do you good in the end. Can you say with me, do me good in the end? God is looking to the end. He's looking to the finish line. He's looking to the full maturity of our life. He's looking to what he's fully called us to do. So he says, everything I'm doing in you now is to do you good in the end. The promised land was filled with cities populated by godless idol worshipers whose pagan religions would be great stumbling blocks to Israel if they were not deeply rooted and grounded in God's word. So he was preparing them to be strong in the wilderness so they could handle the promised land. God foresaw the dangers and the pitfalls of the promised land as well as the blessings. He knew his people were going to need strong faith We're going to need deep roots in the word and steel-like resolve to be victorious. And God knows what you and I are going to encounter in our future. So he's building into our character and building into our faith today what we're going to need to be victorious tomorrow. Do you believe that? 
In fact, the wilderness was designed to prepare Israel for two great tests. And we have the same tests. The test of adversity and the test of success. I want you to listen to what God says about, for instance, the test of success. Listen to what God's concern was with with his own people. He says, here's why I'm taking you through this hunger, these difficulties, these trials, these challenges. Here's why. Because once you enter the promised land, that is the time to be careful. Now, I'm quoting the Bible. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time, and watch this, and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You see what God's concern was? I am taking you through what I'm taking you through because if I don't, you won't be able to stand the test of success. You will forget who gave it to you. His message to Israel and to us was, success can destroy you if you forgot who gave it to you. And of course, this is exactly what they ended up doing. They ended up walking away from God when they were in the land flowing with milk and honey. They forgot God, turned to idols, and the very thing God was concerned about, they ended up doing. Now remember, Paul said these things were written for our examples that we would learn from them and not make the same mistakes. If you were to ask me, Pastor Jeff, what is the greatest success, adversity or success? What is the greatest trial, the greatest test? Adversity or success, I would say the greatest test is success. Because when you have so much blessing, it's so easy to forget God and lean on the blessing instead of the blesser. The faith of the first generation wilted in the face of the giants of the land. But the faith of the second generation faded away in the blessings of the land. First generation defeated by adversity, second generation defeated by success. So let's look at three things. The wilderness of want is designed to build into our character and our faith. How many of you can honestly say, well, Pastor Jeff, I think at least partly anyway, I'm in a wilderness of want right now. I, I, I need some things. I want some things. Let me see your hands. Come on. That's a lot of you, most of you. So I know I'm on target. The rest of you, buckle your seatbelt. You're going to need this one day. Get the CD. So here, here's what God wants to develop in you and me. When we're wanting, and it seems like we're just in a really dry time, tough time, uh, trying time. And, and we're, in, we're in a wilderness of want. We have these wants and desires, but God just hasn't allowed us to have them yet. Our needs are taken care of, but it stops right there. What is God trying to teach us? First, total dependence on him as provider. Total dependence on him. I want you to listen to what God said. He said, I allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna to teach you that even when your natural resources run dry, I can sustain you by my own miraculous power. I want you to think with me about Israel. What did God do with them? Well, they first experienced the want of hunger. Man, we're hungry. Did you bring us out here, Moses, to die? you bring us out here to this wilderness so that we would just croak in the sand? 
having no food. Boy, we wish we could go back to Egypt where there was the melons and the leeks and this and that. And they forgot. They were crying out for deliverance when they were in Egypt. But they said, you brought us out here and there's not even anything to eat. And Moses said, all right, I'm going to pray and God's going to take care of you. And what happened? God caused a supernatural substance to fall from heaven and gather on the ground every single day. Listen, for 40 long years. And they look, walked up to it and, and it looked like coriander seed. It looked like a little, uh, a little seed on the ground and, and they didn't know what it was. So they named it manna, meaning what is it? So every day they gathered, what is it? 365 days a year for 40 long years, they gathered it off the ground. But it was God's supernatural food. Now, church, think with me for a minute. What was God trying to teach them? He was trying to teach them to daily depend not on natural resources, but on his faithfulness. Because there were no natural resources. There was nothing to eat in the wilderness. So every single day, they had to believe for a miracle. Have you ever been there? Where every day you've got to believe for a miracle? Have you ever lived that? Where every single day you've got to say, all right, Lord, here I am. I hope you come through today and God comes through. And what was he teaching them? I want you to learn to lean on me, not on yourself. Lean on me, not on the world. Lean on me, not on your talent. I want you to learn to lean on me. God gives supernatural food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Because the devil came to Jesus and said, look, I know you're hungry. I know you have desire. I know you have wants. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, though I could, I won't. Because I'm going to trust my father to provide for me without my having to get it illegitimately. When Elijah was under the juniper tree, when Jezebel was chasing him, it says an angel of God appeared to him, woke him up. He said, eat this food. You're going to need it where you're going. And so he ate the food and he ran 40 days and nights under the power of one meal. Folks, believe me, that was not Wheaties. That was supernatural food. It was God's supernatural food. And, and with, with, with Israel here, every single day they were looking at supernatural food. I ran across a psalm. Listen to this. He commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna on them to eat and gave them of the bread of heaven. I'm going to read that again. He gave them of the bread of heaven. And you know what my little uh, uh, Bible says in the margin? It says, men ate angels' food. Wow. He sent them food to the full. And you know what angel's food means in the Hebrew? The bread of the mighty. The bread of the mighty. Now, now it was bland. It didn't taste like uh, some of that sugary cereal some of you eat every, every single day. It had no sugar. It had no sweetness. It was bland. It was like plain vanilla. But the Bible says it was angel's food. It was the bread of the mighty. Why? Because it caused them to look up and depend on God and it made them mighty in their inner man because they learned man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that falls from the mouth of God. So Elijah had supernatural food that he ate. Israel had supernatural food that they ate. What do we have? Here it is. Here it is. 
It's the bread of the mighty. Hold up your Bible. Just hold your Bible up in the air. I want you to say with me, this is the bread of the mighty. Say with me, this is my manna. It is sent from God. Say with me, it's the only book on earth that didn't come from earth. It came from heaven. Give God a hand. That's right. So see, when you come out of your wilderness experience, here's the way you come out. You you come out getting into that Bible every single day. If you want to know where Jeff Wickwire is every morning, you can find me in the same chair with the same coffee, in the same place, with the same Bible, reading it. I'm gathering my manna because I know that Jeff Wickwire doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word, every supernatural word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how I go out and and defeat the devil and the flesh and the world, not in my own strength, but by living in the manna of God, the word of God. Jesus said, he that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit because I'm the vine and you're the branches. And if you as a branch abide in the vine, I'm going to make you bring forth fruit. So Jesus taught dependence on him daily. The disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, here's the way you pray. Give us this day, our daily bread. Do you think he was only talking about Mrs. Baird's? No, he was saying, Lord, give us this day our supernatural manna. Speak to us out of the word of God. Because I know where I'm going. And where I'm going, I'm going to have to be able to conquer giants. I'm going to have to be able to take the land. And that's not going to happen unless the word has gotten deep down inside of me. So Jesus taught daily dependence on God as our provider. So the wilderness of want is designed to bring us to the place we make a trade-off. We trade our leaning on flesh, leaning on the world, leaning on our own talent and abilities to leaning on God and drawing from his word and feeding on his manna. So that you don't say, when God blesses you, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Oh no, I know where what I have came from. Amen? Now the second thing you learn from the wilderness of want. Oh, I I like this one. This is powerful. Not to run ahead of God. Not to run ahead of God. You say, how does wilderness of want deal with that, Pastor Jeff? Here's how. At one point in their wilderness of want, when they were really going through it and, and eating this manna every day and getting water out of the rock, both of their primary sources of provision were coming from supernatural provision of God, water from a rock, and food sent from heaven every night on the ground. At one point, Israel decided they were sick of the manna and cried out for meat. And the psalmist describes it like this. But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart. They tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. I like the way the King James puts that. I want a Dunkin' Donut. I am sick of this manna. I want a Ruth Chris steak. I am sick of this manna. 
And so they began to complain. They went to Moses and said, we're so sick of this. We've been eating this same thing for years. And I can almost hear Moses thinking, well, if you just learn your lesson, the manna would cease and God would let you in the promised land. But they didn't. It took 40 years to get this in them. And the majority of them didn't even learn it then. But here's the deal. They demanded something other than what God was giving them, which was manna. See, there's a manna season in our life. We go through a manna season where God is teaching us to be content, satisfied. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But content and satisfied with what he has given us, not with what we want. We learn to give him our wants. But they were in the manna season of life, yet they wanted to run ahead of God before they learned what he was seeking to teach them. They demanded what they wanted instead of what he wanted for them. The Bible tells us that here's the way the whole thing played out. On the day after they entered the promised land, the manna ceased. Did you ever read that? I love that verse. It says they entered the promised land. The day after they entered, the manna ceased. After 40 years of manna being on the ground, it ceased. Their manna season was over. And God said, now you eat of the fruit of the land, what you've heard about all these years, the land flowing with milk and honey, go for it because the manna lesson is over. Yet until they learned daily dependence on God, it was still their manna season of life. And we're told that God essentially said this. He said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. So all of a sudden, they looked up and the sky was black with quail. Millions of quail. God summoned them. And they began to drop right into the middle of the camp. And you know what those children of Israel did? They said, hot dog, it's about time. And they grabbed that quail and they began to eat it. Oh, but the Bible tells us the truth. Look what happened. While their food was still in their mouths, the displeasure of God came upon them and the choice men of Israel were struck down. (sighs) Folks, be careful what you demand from God. You just might get it. And when you get it, It might taste good when you take the first bite. Eventually, though, it's going to make you sick to your stomach. This is a good time to remember what Paul wrote. These things became our examples so that we wouldn't make the same mistakes. Well, what's the cautionary tale here? The cautionary tale is that in the wilderness of want, be wise about not demanding something you want outside of God's timing. If it's the manna season of life, embrace it. Learn your lessons well and trust God to take you to the next level when it's time for the manna to cease. Because one day God will say, all right, manna time is over. Now, here is what you've been believing for. It's really quiet in here. Some of you must be demanding that boyfriend, demanding that girlfriend, demanding this, that, or the other. You know, I believe in praying. I prayed this week. I prayed hard. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to tell me no. But if he tells me no, I'm not going to pray for it anymore. See, they wanted to run ahead of God. Let me ask a question. How many of you have ever run ahead of God and lived to regret it? Right? Amen. That's what we learned from the wilderness of want. God was saying, I want you to be content 
And that's my next point and the last one. Here's the third lesson of the wilderness, the wilderness of want, is learning to be content. Can we say the word together? Content. Some people have everything, but one thing they don't have is contentment. They get one thing, they want more. They get that, they want even more. They get all those things, they want more. They never sit back and say, thank you, God, I am content with what you've given me. When in the wilderness of want, we learn to turn our wants and desires over to God. And just say to him, essentially, I trust you with my wants. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. There comes a point where, listen, God is clearly wanting to teach us the lesson of contentment, and that's what you learn in the wilderness of want. I trust you with my wants, but in the meantime, I'm going to be content with what I have. Thank you, Lord, for what I have. Thank you, Lord, for what you have given me. Oh, yes, Lord, I've got prayers, and I'm going to give you my prayers, and here's my wants, and here's my desires. But once I've given them to you, then I'm going to lean back and say, but right now, I am content with you. I am content with what I have. You know, the person who is content is richer than Donald Trump, richer than Bill Gates, richer than the richest man in all the earth. The person who can wake up and say, thank you, God, I am blessed, I am content is rich. You know why they're rich? Because they enjoy life. And there's a lot of rich people that do not enjoy life. Paul achieved this spiritual mile marker, and it is a spiritual mile marker, and we know that it wasn't something that fell on him. It wasn't a gift. You know, you don't get the gift of contentment. I wish you could, because I would say, Lord, just Pour it on me, the gift of contentment. But Paul said, I have learned contentment. Look at what he said. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. Does this sound like you? Listen to this, if this is you or not you. He said, I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. I found the recipe. For being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. That's powerful. See, that's how he could sit in jail and say, everything's good. Paul, how are you doing? We're really concerned about you. Oh, I'm I'm great. I'm, I'm witnessing these soldiers. I'm writing letters that... He had no idea they'd be read for 21 centuries. I'm writing letters. I'm blessing the church. I'm in prayer. Uh, God's with me. I'm a happy boy. But you're in prison. Ah, but I've learned to be content. It's a recipe. And you know what the key to the recipe is? You know what the main ingredient to the recipe of contentment is? Contentment is? It is thankfulness. Thankfulness. That's the main ingredient, the secret ingredient to contentment is being thankful. Lord, thank you that you've given me what I have. So, Pastor Jeff, there's not a thing in the world I can think to be thankful for. Well, boy, you need to do more thinking because guess what? You're saved. And if you've got nothing else to thank God for, you need to start right there. That is ground zero. Thank God I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. 
I, I, I was headed to hell, now I'm headed to heaven. Thank God that he convicted me of my sin, and by grace he drew me to himself. Thank God if I die today, I go straight into the arms of Jesus. Thank God I'm no longer spiritually blind. Thank God I'm no longer living in sin. Thank God he loved me enough to die for me and rose from the dead on my behalf. You can have a benefit starting right there. Here's Paul's message. It's not getting all my wants fulfilled that makes me happy. It's my relationship with Jesus that makes me happy. So say with me, dependence on God. Don't run ahead of God. Contentment with God. That's the lesson of the wilderness of want.